Welcome to Extra Musical, the podcast where we delve into the lives, thoughts, creative process, and hobbies of musicians and other creative artists. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit www.hiddencinemarecords.com podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast and everything else going on at HCR, become a patron at www.patreon.com slash hiddencinemarecords. Today, we're joined by Adam Larson. He's an American saxophonist, composer, educator, and author currently residing in the Kansas City area. Larson holds a Bachelor of Music and a Master's of Music in Jazz Performance from the Manhattan School of Music and was part of the vibrant New York City jazz scene for 11 years before relocating in 2019. He continues to perform in New York City with some of the greatest musicians in the genre, and as a guest artist, he's been invited to present master classes on music business, improvisation, composition at more than 75 universities across the globe. He's recorded seven albums as leader and maintains an active touring schedule year-round playing his original music. As a note, the conversation with Adam really flowed well, so I don't want to intersplice it with music. Uh, we are going to listen to a little bit up front from his upcoming album, which we'll talk about, and we'll, at the end of the interview, we'll listen to a little bit as well. Let's get to it. musical you just heard a small introduction but uh we're sitting here with saxophonist adam larson thanks for joining us adam hey thanks for having me man. i appreciate it uh this is really funny uh to see you in like the sound booth thing that you have yeah. because it's just like it's you must do all your work in this thing if you don't follow adam on social you see the sound booth uh, a lot is that in your house yeah it's in my basement um it's kind of funny because i would have killed to have this unit in new york the 12 years i was living there but I thought surely when I buy a house, I can just practice in my house and having two, you know, two kids, it's like, okay, I still need some kind of dedicated space. So yeah, this is a, this is in my unfinished part of the basement. So it works out. Okay. Oh, okay. oh, wow. So it's just like, it's almost like you're, you're in New York again when you're in that studio, you know, that yeah, dedicated kind of. practice space. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, so for the people who don't know you, uh, like what your if you hear sounds behind me, listeners, it's because I have construction going on, but don't worry about sure. it. Uh, <laughs> for the people that don't know you, what's your like uh, story? Who are you? What do you do? Where are you based? Like, what's your life like? Sure. Yeah. So I'm based in Kansas City area now. I've been here about four years since uh, 19. Um, but prior to that, I was in New York for about 11 and a half years or so. Um, I'm originally from Illinois, but after I graduated high school, I went uh, to study music, uh, jazz performance at Manhattan School of Music, which is where I got my undergrad and my master's. And I lived out there for a total of six years for school and then almost another six uh, after it. But um, yeah, I would describe myself as uh, 
you know, a husband and a father first and a saxophonist after all that, which is something that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have put it in that order. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I keep busy doing a lot of things and I'm sure we'll talk about, but, uh, yeah, that's a short little bit about me, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I really like that you describe yourself as a husband and a father first and a saxophonist after all that. That's a really loving way to view your life, whereas some people might misprioritize. And I've heard you talk about this before, where it's like you just like you love your kids and you love your wife. And that's really awesome to see that. That's like music's a thing that you do and not your entire identity. Sure, sure. Yeah, it it helps inform the music, I think, for me, at least, you know, because it gives me a sense of um, direction and purpose, you know, so sometimes it's like a literal, okay, I have to do this because I have people to support. And other times it's like, <laughs> I get to do this because I have a family that supports me. So it's all, it's all working together, you know, when it, when it works correctly. So there's like a, a life synergy there where totally like feeding back and forth. So, uh, you're based in Kansas city. You, are you still a professor at UMKC? I can't remember if you're doing the entrepreneurship still. Yeah, so what I do is 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 relatively hands off at this point. I was in the jazz department for about um, two years when I first moved here, and then I slowly transitioned into the position that I'm in now, which is um, teaching some asynchronous classes uh, as a partnership between the Block School of Business at UMKC and the Conservatory. So it's exclusively in arts entrepreneurship and um, and how to take a venture uh, idea and, and bring it into fruition. So it's it's a nice. Um, hybridization of art students and business, and, and I really enjoy the work I do there. Um, currently, though, this semester, I'm also doing a sabbatical coverage for um, a wonderful saxophonist named Matt Otto, who teaches at KU in Lawrence. So that's about 45 minutes west of, of my home. Uh, and so I, I, I kind of like being uh, adjacently or tangentially involved in college teaching because I have the flexibility to go out and do the things that I'm often doing during the year. But uh, I think right now the amount I'm doing is is just about perfect. So we'll see how that kind of evolves. Yeah. So they're not like absolutely bogged down, but at the same time, it's not light. Sure. It's, yeah. It's like kind of a perfect, perfect amount right now. And especially with the stuff through UMKC and our entrepreneurship classes, if I have a laptop and internet connectivity, that's, you know, it's all I need for that class, which is, which is really great. I'm kind of jealous of that. Well, I I have one online teaching thing for like a, a gen music thing, but like, mm-hmm. that's just a really important subject that you hear so many countless musicians being like, well, I wish someone would have taught me this when I was in college. So yeah, it's just sure. like, that, that's a, a, a resource that UMKC has definitely for me. Cause I feel like I learned a lot from you via, we had a meeting one time, but then there was also this book that you released. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, what's it called? Practical Stuff for Survival. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yep. So, yeah, so, so you do a lot of, um, like, you're you're an author, I guess, technically, right? You do a lot of, like, yeah. aid, educational books as well. But um, what, what, what got you into that? You know, honestly, um, we had just had our se- – we were, we were going to have our second child. Yeah, we were preparing to have our second son, Clark, and uh, – we were still living in New York, and I just was looking at the numbers, and I wanted to be around a little bit more. Traveling was really exhausting. It still is. I'm still you know, busy doing that, but basically, to make a long story short, I wanted to try to create some kind of passive income opportunity for myself, mm-hmm. so I started writing. Um, I wrote one book, and I didn't think it would, you know, I had no, no expectation. I was like, well, let's just write a book, see if I can be coherent, and the success of the first book, which was a very niche um, 
saxophone etude book that basically serves to try to integrate the altissimo, you know, register into the regular part of the instrument, as well as forcing people to play in, in hard keys, which is something that we always talk about, you know, supposedly having to do. Um, uh, that, that was the whole goal of it uh, over the context of jazz standards and put it out. And the success of it was, was such that I decided to keep writing. So, um, you know, I think in total now, I think I have 12 different things that I've put out, you know, and, um, it's a mixture of A2 books and method books and then some music business things. Um, but it was great during the pandemic because I got a chance to have something to stay motivated and focused on without losing my mind, you know. So um, I wrote most of the books during the pandemic from the uh, passenger seat of my car because I would drive my son. During the pandemic, he would only nap in a car. So I would drive him around, get him to sleep, park, and then get my laptop out and compose and then put the book together. And so like over the course of two years, I probably put out six different books from from sitting in the passenger side seat of my car, which is kind of funny. So oh, that's, um, that's hilarious. Like your son yeah. really wouldn't just go to no. bed. He's like, get me in a car seat, dad, even though no. he can't communicate that at the point. Man, it, it was ridiculous, you know? So I, I would end up driving <laughs> great lengths, you know, to, to get him to sleep. And then I, when I get him to sleep, I put him, I would just move over and start trying. I guess I was losing my mind. I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do for 90 minutes every day? It's just, I can't sit here and scroll doom scroll I'll, I'll drive my go insane so i'm thankful i suppose that he wanted to do that because it, ironically it gave me like 90 minutes every day for two years where i could be very focused if i wanted to be yeah you really took a situation that most people would like grind their teeth at and just took it and turned it into something entrepreneurial that's hilarious thanks man <laughs> uh so like I did. I, one of the questions I usually ask is like, what does your typical day look like? But it doesn't seem like there's really a typical day for you. I'm learning that question's kind of silly because a lot of people are like, there's not a typical day. So like, what does your typical day look like? It, it's, it's gotten, it's gotten more typical, I suppose, in the past six months. Cause for the first time since our um, first son was born, uh, my wife is, is back to, uh, to working. She started her own baked goods company. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so she's actually this March is a year for her in business. And, um, you know, about halfway through the first year, she started working out of a commercial kitchen space in Kansas City. Um, and so that means she's out of the house Monday and Tuesday. And my younger son isn't any kind of daycare or preschool. So I, I'll stay home with him Monday and Tuesday. So long story short, pushing all my teaching commitments to Wednesday through Friday, because I really try to avoid teaching on the weekends if I can, just so I can have family time. Um, so now it's a little bit more locked in. You know, I know we went back and forth trying to find one hour that we could would talk. Yeah, about. right. <laughs> it's basically, you know, kind of predicated around, you know, I have a Zoom studio that I still teach. It's not um, a crazy amount of students, but it's enough that it, it, it certainly keeps me busy. Um, so I do that Wednesday through Friday. And this semester right now, every Wednesday, I'm at KU doing that sabbatical coverage I mentioned. So, you know, really any kind of extra activities happen Thursday through Saturday. Um, and so... Yeah. The more I talk about it, the less typical it is, I suppose, or, or, or consistent. But the thing that is consistent Wednesday through the weekend typically is some, some teaching and then whatever um, performance based opportunities there are or traveling. You know, um, things are about to get insanely busy, but basically till November um, in about two weeks. So I'm kind of mentally preparing for all the, the, the chess match uh, uh, you know, that comes in terms of like who's watching who and what time not to be back and all this kind of stuff. But um, 
you know, I should say before we get too much further, my wife is the MVP because she's able to, you know, straddle all of that along with me, you know, to make sure that, that we're covering all the bases. It's, it's nearly impossible sometimes, but so far, knock on wood, we're doing okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can agree. Cause I, my wife helps me so much in that aspect and we don't have kids. So I can't sure. even imagine like having to, to structure that into the equation too. Sure. Yeah. It, sure. it really changes one, your priorities, but two, the way you have to schedule things uh, completely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're about to get busy based off of, uh, I, you're releasing an album, I think April, not April 7th, April 7th. That's it. Yep. You're yeah. right. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. What so, album is that? It's, uh, it's called with love from New York and it's, uh, the final installment of this nearly two year long, uh, trilogy project of recording three different trios in three different cities. Um, Again, kind of a byproduct of the pandemic. I, I never opened up GarageBand or Logic ever prior to March 2020. I didn't even know, you know, I mean, I kind of knew what an XLR cable was. I had no idea what a MIDI <laughs> cable was. You know, it's very, very like, I never had to deal with it, so I never did type thing. And so um, I composed a lot of music, you know, try to stay, again, kind of mentally fit and focus on some things. And I decided, you know, it'd be cool to try to do a record. That was the first idea. It was like, let's do a record and let's do it with Kansas City musicians because that's where I live and I have a really tight-knit group of people that I like playing with um and then pretty quickly I thought well you know we always talk about a narrative right need an extra musical thing you know no pun intended to uh, <laughs> right you know, yeah. to, to to kind of talk about and I find that to be a little bit difficult sometimes because it's hard to know like well, where's the line between being disingenuous and making something up just because you know it'll be it'll it'll be a press story right or like also doing nothing <laughs> like there has to be a line you know between like i can't create a narrative for myself that doesn't exist i also don't it, i've done it enough where i'm like here just judge the music on the music and it, nobody does that anymore so right. um the narrative for me that i thought was genuine was like well i have lived in three well i've lived in two cities you know i've worked professionally in a third a lot so um the idea became to record three different projects and man it, it's kept me really busy you know um I'm very happy and fortunate that each of these projects um, have got a chance to tour, you know, so in April that, that New York project will tour. Um, the record is Obed Calvera on drums and Matt Closey on bass. The tour will be um, Matt Closey on bass and Jimmy McBride on drums oh, for cool. most of it. Um, Obed's calendar, which he's so generous to share with me uh, is like an 18 month calendar. Cause he's on the road with jazz and Lincoln center. Yeah. And, you know, there's maybe four days once every two months. And I'm like, man, I just see it's, it's impossible, you know? So he'll join Matt and I at smalls in May for like kind of our New York release. But, um, but yeah, April, April is just kind of, you know, it's ironic because it's the, typically when I get to April, I'm kind of sweating the summer months because summer months for what I do, which is the, the bigger drawer of income outside of what I do when I'm home or whatever, selling books or whatever is, um, guest artists and masterclass stuff so the summertime that takes a really kind of a a dip because nobody's in school you know so right. typically when i when i get to april or may i'm thinking like oh man what am i going to do to to get some things on the board but um as i was mentioning things are really busy all the way up until the new year at this point so um april will do the tour start in kansas city then go to memphis then nashville then st louis um but prior to that i'll be in houston for about half a week working with um the wonderful uh, HSPVA program, you know, they've had so many ridiculous 
Houston musicians go through that for Robert Glasper and um, yeah, I'm a million people that, you know, so to make a long story short, there's a lot of guest artist stuff coming up. There's some things in the summertime that I, I've not had in the past and some touring that I'm really looking forward to. So, um, yeah, it's always, you know, you, the joke is like, right. The musicians have two things to complain about having a gig and not having a gig, you know? Yeah. So I, I'm not complaining about being busy far from it, but as I previously mentioned, it, it just takes a lot of, a lot of, lining up the all the dots you know to make it to make it worth it for everybody so the coordination must be extreme i mean like when you talk to non-musicians do you have any like non-musician friends who are like hey what are you doing next week and you're like i can tell you what i'm doing for the next eight months what are you talking about bro yeah 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 totally yeah that's yeah it's always funny too because non-musicians you know it's musicians and non-musicians both and they say like i'm so busy i'm like bruh live 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 24 hours in my shoes you know we'll talk about busy so um but i get it everybody i thought about the other day actually coming home from from ku because i was like man this is what most people do every day i was there from i left my house at nine i got home at 5 30 you know and and so yeah i i can i can see it being just as busy in different ways but but yeah yes i could definitely like what are you doing november 9th i'll be in indianapolis <laughs> you know that's like seven months from now you know eight months from now um so so yeah, I definitely I have some music non-musical friends who like probably scratch their head a little bit. But I yeah, I've I've been in like I have a way less busy like touring schedule. I only I actually only tour during the summers cuz I'm in a K12 job, so like I only get a couple of days off other than the summers during the year, so it's hard to like coordinate tours um like without days off. So I inversely am like really really busy during the 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 months teaching and in the summer that's when the travel happens so when you said like uh this is like a regular day it's not like my regular day ends at five my teaching day ends at three for my k-12 job and then i go to my university job three days a week uh or do my lessons so it's like yeah it's busy but i feel like our busy times are like completely different because of the uh the type of teaching that we do sure Sure. Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing about music too. Is like the schedule is always all over the place for everybody, you know. So yeah, and it's a lot of about a lot of nights. No one's <laughs> like all your performances. No one's playing it like. Well, actually, that's not true. I think you have a performance coming up at, at twelve noon, like this week, or what was like the other day. Yeah, we, we just we just played it two days ago. Actually, yeah, it was kind of hilarious because uh, it's at a it's at a college, and typically we're in an already too large theater, but it's like okay. It's, it's fine, but they moved us into the the bigger theater, which is like a two thousand seat theater for a twelve o'clock lunchtime concert. And I'm like, man, there's gonna be like four people in each section of this massive, you know, thing. So, um, but yeah, I like it when the you know the jazz dad set, you know, or seven p.m. You know, but like, man, some of the gigs here in Kansas City start at eleven and end at two, and I start I had to stop playing them, man, because it's like my kids get up so ridiculously early that if I if I take that gig, I'm I'm pretty much. I'm cranky for the next day and a half, you know, trying to get over it. So I get, I get what you mean. Me and my wife are, we're both power lifters. So we go to bed and we oh, go, wow. and, uh, go to the gym in the morning before school. So it's like, not, it's not cool to, uh, that's why I don't like head to Baltimore. I'm two hours away from Baltimore and it's like almost impossible to get there for things uh, during the week. So one of the reasons why I like can't perform as often and also, you know, all the other excuses I'll make, but um the the trio project that you mentioned, I've had I have the other two CDs and I pre-ordered um, the album that's coming out uh, in April, and I think listeners are listening to this 
the Monday after it comes out, um, mm-hmm. which is like two weeks, three weeks uh, from when we're recording it. Um, it's just like it's really it's a really cool idea in general. So like you say, like you didn't want to have a a narrative that wasn't personable to you, but like now you created this kind of really personal narrative that uh, grits together this cordless trio of friends that you get to play with. So like, was that sure. experience like kind of reminiscent each time you would get, record a new one? Yeah. It was it was interesting in each of them, you know. I, I feel like um, just thinking back on it, you know, the Chicago trio that base, basis, you know, Clark Summers and and the and the drummer Dana Hall, they've been playing together for nearly thirty years at this point. So I'm not going to say it was easy, you know, to, to to lock into that, but it was pretty easy, you know. Like I, all I had to do was was uh, not overthink it because they're so tight as a unit that, you know, uh, it kind of felt like I could do whatever I wanted to because I had the trust of them knowing their tendencies so well that it, I don't know. I'm really proud of that. I'm not that I'm not proud of the other ones, but I feel like the chemistry on that one and what we were going for is, is, um, is something that I'm, I'm just really happy with. I'm really happy with the way it came out. Sonically, we recorded it all. Uh, we weren't all in the same room, you know, drums and I were in the same room and uh bass was, was behind like a sliding door, but the sound of it is very much like a, a live, you know, and, and it was all, um, to two tracks so you know there's no editing at all on the entire record oh, nice. Very minimal. wow yeah so and you know it's it's funny like we actually recorded the kansas city one first um in june of 2021 and i i went through and mixing and mastering it and then i decided after the fact that it really wasn't representative of what i wanted to put out so um in the meantime i recorded the chicago one in august of 2021 and decided, hey, this is what I want to put out. So the, the idea was to do Kansas City first, then Chicago, then New York. What ended up happening was doing Chicago first, Kansas City in the middle, and New York at the end, which I think from a PR strategy is probably better. You know, um, Kansas City for what it is and for the personnel on that record, you know, in, in terms of like name stature, uh, it was definitely the one that was like less familiar to people, you know. So I think to see yeah. in between two records of people that had been doing it, you know, and for, for, you know, just as long, but just, you know, you know, I'm trying to say it's like a little more visible, you know, in, in the jazz mm-hmm. world. Um, I think it worked out well, but yeah, so we recorded this thing in June, didn't use it, re-recorded the album, the Kansas city one in March did use it. That came out in September. And then the one that, um, the New York one that came, that's coming out on April 7th. Um, you know, we did that in, in Brooklyn this past June. So, uh, I felt, I felt nervous a little bit on each of them, you know, but I felt I didn't feel like I was uh, playing with people I had never played with before, which is important to me. You know, I, each of those people on those records, I have a, a friendship with of a certain level. Um, you know, Clark Summers, the basis on the Chicago record, you know, we're so close that my younger son is his namesake. You know, my I was wondering that when you said his yeah. son or you said your na- son's yeah. name, I was like, is he named after Clark Summers? Oh, OK. Yeah. And, and Clark Summers is his godfather, you know, so like that's a Aww. pretty difficult yeah, it's a pretty difficult chemistry to to refab, you know, to, to fabricate. Um, so, yeah, it was really great. You know, I mean, I can't say I'll ever do a project that ambitious ever again because just from a <laughs> from from a from a logistical standpoint and a fundraising standpoint and all that, you know, I mean, I know you know because you do your own projects of large scale. Um, but suffice it to say, I'm I think I'm I'm going to take a little bit of. I mean, as I say that, I have a quintet record coming out in six months. <laughs> It's like I say that I'm, I have the other project next one coming. <laughs> yeah, I can't help myself, man. But I, I think for my own leader stuff, I'll probably take a pause from recording for a while, just because 
you know, I played that gig you mentioned at, at 12 the other day, and it was the first time in a long time where I felt like, man, I don't like playing these songs anymore, <laughs> which is, yeah, which is weird. okay. You know, because um, I don't, it's not that, it's of course, I don't like, not that I don't like the material necessarily. It's just like, I feel stale. You know, I feel kind of like, man, I played these tunes for the last two years, and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of playing the same ideas. I feel a little bit stagnant. Um, that's why I really love being a sideman or at least playing other people's music in my own band because I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm the arbiter of everything, you know, like I, I yeah. have ownership over everything when I play my tunes, like, Oh, this is I play somebody else's tune. I'm like, Oh, cool. Chord changes. I can play when I'm playing my tune. It's like, I wrote this chord change and blah, blah, blah. And it's so much mental noise that it's hard to turn off sometimes. And I just felt terrible, like terrible at this gig on Tuesday. And it was, it was a great band. It was my trio plus an amazing piano player. My first, my first choice in, in, in KC, this wonderful piano player named Andrew Ouellette. Like by all outside appearances, I shouldn't have walked away being like, man, I felt terrible, <laughs> but, but I did. I called Clark actually. And I was like, man, do you ever like not like music? And he's like all the time. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, my students was... literally asked me that the other day. They're like, I, uh, they're a senior in high school. And they're like, all I do right now is music. And like, I, I leave here and I do music. All my classes are music other than one class. And then like, do you, how do you not, feel mad at it i'm like i don't know i feel like there's periods where you do and then there you like kind of step away like i don't know what to to tell you you can't like be busy forever yeah yeah and it's weird because in high school i had the opposite man i mean i i didn't go to a fine arts high school by any stretch i went to if anything like an academic powerhouse you know so I didn't oh, you know. You went to a very normal high school, you're saying? I, yes, I did. I did, in fact. Yeah. Um, I didn't go to normal community. I went to university high school, but it was in normal Illinois. And, of course, and, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know, really, until I was, um, uh, you know, until I was probably a senior in high school that I was going to go to school for music. So I prepared as if I wasn't going to. You know, I mean, I practiced an insane amount, and I was always really interested in doing it. But, you know, the practical, you know, fact of the matter was that my parents never put a penny away for college. They were banking on me being, you know, good at something. And right, yeah. what, what did they luck out, I guess, because, um, you know, had I not got a scholarship to go to, to MSN the way I did, there's absolutely no way I could have afforded it. You know, nobody can, frankly, especially, I mean, that's a whole separate Zoom call, you know, but like, uh, <laughs> yeah, suffice it to say, like, I prepared as if though I was going to be going into business or law or something like that. And so, I remember being in high school and the majority of my day was in classes that I, I can't say I wasn't interested in, but nothing was more interesting than, than playing saxophone, you know? So I had this like really finite amount of time every day that I could practice. And I always felt, I felt more motivated to practice in high school because I didn't have as much time than I did the first couple years of college because it was the exact opposite. It was like, man, like you just described all day, every day is music, you know? And, right. and the non-music requirement was like, read test of the Duberville, which I read in like a junior in high school, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, okay. you know, I have to do something to, to meet the region requirement or whatever. But, um, I can relate with that. You know, I mean, of course I, I love music, but I, last night I went and heard, um, here in Kansas city, uh, Bill Frizzell's four group is on tour. Oh, yeah. on Blue Note. So man, Greg Tardy, holy, that messed me up. Like his tenor sound messed me up. I was like, Wow what on earth you know i never heard it live it's man, just one of the i can't i don't know man i could i was like i walked away from it angry and happy because i was like ah, <laughs> how do you do that you know that's so, exactly how i feel after every time i see a great tenor player i'm like mostly happy i'm especially freaking out during the gig and i sure. walk away i'm just like 
man, yeah. what am I doing? I need yeah. to be that guy. Yeah, man, that's his, his motivator. His sound was ridiculous. And then, you know, then, of course, he plays half the set on clarinet. And I'm like, forget about it, man. Like, it's just, it was amazing. So, yeah, I walked away from that a little bit inspired and despired <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> you know. So, um, but yeah. I That's think how I felt when I saw Ken Poplowski back oh, in um, in Akron. He was at Blue uh, Jazz once, and um, like I always knew him as a clarinet player in my mind, right? And then he just like I was like, oh, why is there a tenor on stage? And he just picks up this tenor and starts going for it, and I'm like, oh, sweet lord! Yeah, like, that's that's the thing too. Like people who aren't aware, like Ken Poplowski is like a niche player to most regular people. Like you probably not heard of Ken Poplowski, but if you're in the know. You're still like, well, here's a guy that, you know, like, he's not Joshua Redman, but he plays the snot out of the saxophone, you know, in terms of, like, stature, you know, and, yeah. and household name. So it always messes me up because there's always somebody who, who like, Greg Tardy is a great example. Like, he's he's incredible. He's every bit as good as anybody I'd ever want to listen to. And yet, you know, it's like, I feel like some of those guys are so unsung that it's almost unfair. You know, I walked away yeah. from that concert last night. And I'm like, dude, everybody everybody there should have been every saxophone player in kansas city should have been in that concert you know so um it was yeah anyway greg tardy's great <laughs> go greg tardy for president so greg tardy for president we'll make campaign shirts and yeah. uh write him in uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh outside of like music is there anything that you like really enjoy doing that like helps you stay creative or productive or that gets you away from trying to be productive that like you really enjoy yeah um i like sports a lot i always have you know so i like basketball i was in memphis last weekend and my friend took me to the grizzlies warrior game which was awesome i never seen stuff play i don't think um i was thinking about that too i was like man it's like when you eat a really good meal and then like a year later you can't remember a single thing you had on it i was like have i seen steph curry before <laughs> um but i i had never seen i was so bummed man because jaw was out you know i was hoping to see john morant play play steph and unfortunately he was he's not available so but it was still it's amazing too and like in memphis we were hanging out at a you know very low-key uh it's called slider in which is like a bunch of different sliders and and uh i turn over and my friend michael a great saxophone player michael schultz he teaches at u of m there um he's like a diehard grizzlies fan and i look up and i'm like i just go oh there's steven adams and he's like what are you talking about he looks over we look over and like literally you know steven adams can barely fit under this little place <laughs> where he's ordering and it's like you know standing from like here to like 10 feet from from it was just crazy. Like you can't hide in a small market uh, city, you know, which is kind of, it was kind of cool, you know, but I like sports a lot. Um, doesn't matter who's playing. I don't really have a team anymore. When I was growing up, it was the bulls. Cause you know, I lived in Illinois during the nineties. So hard right. to be a bulls fan. Um, I've gotten into baseball through my father-in-law, uh, ironically the year that the Royals beat the Mets, you know, but he's, he's a diehard Mets fan. So we watched the whole season thinking they're going to win the world series. And then when I was like, yeah, we moved to Kansas city four years later, he's like, what? <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, of course I enjoy hanging out with my wife. You know, we, we have our TV series that we check out every once in a while. And, um, yeah, I, I think those are the things I like to do is just decompress. You know, I, I, I like, uh, I like the parallels between sports and discipline and music. You know, everybody who's at a certain like ridiculously high level, there's a there's a lot you can learn if you're willing. You know, you look at like yeah. Mahomes and you're like, man, incredible. You know, and and so uh, I just yeah, I like watching that. I like hanging out with my kids. You know, as as much as chaos as 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 they are, you know, in this beautiful way, 
I wouldn't trade it. I don't think, you know, I, I think about that, which sounds, it may sound interesting to people, but like, it's hard not to sometimes when, when you have children that are, um, they don't know any better. They, they constantly need you. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. Someday, you know, in a podcast 10 years from now, I'll be, I'll be lamenting like, man, I wish my kids needed me because they won't need me. Yeah. Oh. You know? but, oh. but, um, yeah, but you know, right now it's like, it can be just, I mean, it is, it's downright exhausting, you know? So you think about your life, like, man, what am I doing right now if I didn't have kids? And, you know, versus like, I don't know, five years ago, I, I could actually visualize it because I didn't, I had one child who's like, you know, six months old. Now I feel like a lot of the things that I spent most of my 20s bugging out about are things that I couldn't control. And I don't have the mental bandwidth to worry about that as much at all anymore because I have two other people that depend on me. And like I was mentioning earlier, it's like the reason why I'm able to or why I continue to try to seek out so much volume of output or, or, or work or whatever is partly because I have to, and probably because it just keeps me focused. You know, like a lot of things that I would worry about otherwise when I was younger, I don't, I just don't have time to do it. So I think that I would, would I have more uh, material things if I didn't have two children? Sure. You know, but like, I probably have, I'd inherit a lot more problems or maybe never get over the problems that I had. They probably intensify to be quite honest. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that, man. And especially during the pandemic, having kids as a buffer, you know, uh, was very helpful because I feel like a lot of friends went through a lot of really difficult times with their spouses or with their significant others, because you're not meant to live on top of each other 24 seven. That's not normal. You know, so my wife and I, you know, we had two kids that we had to provide for. And I think that, I think, you know, again, this is taking like a pretty deep term, but I think it's important to think about the context of which, you know, having children has changed my life for the, for the, for the better, you know? So. Wow. Dad first and dad and husband first. Try I think it, try. No, I, the, all you can do is try until you're done trying and then you've sure. done it. Sure. Right. I, that's the thing. You're, you're doing all the things that you look up to do being a father, being a husband, being a kick-ass saxophonist. That's <laughs> I love when people when you tell someone they're great, they're like, "Yeah, I don't know about that, man." Yeah, no, Um, no, man, I appreciate it very much. um, So the the sports thing, it's really funny because like I am not a sports person at all, really. Like I I go to uh, I almost said sports games. I've been to one NBA game when I was like nine. I didn't even know it was an NBA game. I thought I was at a college game. Uh, cause I didn't know who the Cavs were. Uh, yeah, I didn't know who LeBron James was, uh, cause I don't watch basketball. Uh, and I've been to one NFL game and I, the only games I like would go to religiously as a child were baseball games. So when you're like, I got into baseball, I was like, Oh man, those are the ones I like. No. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the discipline of, of, of other artists is what I really admire. So you said like sports, I like really like, uh, watching like visual artists or dancers. If I could watch dancers all day, uh, just like the physical discipline that goes into that, which is like the same physical discipline that goes into, uh, sports is something I also admire. So it's cool that you were like, yeah, the parallels between, uh, between like sports discipline and music discipline are like really similar. Yeah. Um, totally. What's uh, one thing about your artistic life that you didn't expect you talked about um about your like personal life uh that you didn't expect uh but what's one thing about your artistic life that you didn't expect 
Probably the traveling. You know, I had no sense of that when I was younger. Um, I got a good litmus test for that when I was in high school. Um, you can apply for all these programs when you're a kid, you know, to do national bands with other people. And um, I was very fortunate in my senior year that nearly everything I applied for, I, I, I got accepted into. So um, my high school, I was so thankful to go to that one specifically because it was a lab school of, the, of, the, of Illinois State University. So the way they ran their absence policy uh, was a lot more relaxed than any of the other area high schools. So, um, you know, I'm very thankful for my high school administration and my band director, especially because they really went to bat for me. Um, my senior year of high school, I was gone 64 days, which is insane. Holy. You know, you know, there was like from like January through May of my senior year of high school, I was barely there, you know? So, um, getting a chance to travel and, and, and do all that was amazing. And it kind of got me situated for like, well, is this a life that you want to live? Cause it kind of can be like this. And so that was all the, well, there was a couple, there was one, I guess the first time I went overseas was actually with one of those bands, but it was in the summertime. And um, so to make a long story short, like the traveling has been something that I really, I crave, you know, like I, that's the thing I mm-hmm. like about it the most seeing different parts of the world and different parts of the country. And it, you know, it gives you perspective and worldview that is so important to like your development as a human being. And I, I don't think I, there, there are experiences that I had, especially when I was younger and a little bit greener that I would, I kind of kick myself. I would, I would go back and live it differently. You know, like I went to Europe for six years in a row when I was in, in uh, college with um, the time, my best man was a really good, really great guitar player. This guy named Niels Weinhold. And uh, he decided in 2015 that he didn't want to play guitar anymore um, and now he's, he's part of a 12 man elite counterterrorism unit in the German police force. He moved back home. Like, the, what? yeah, the, the, it's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. He was like, you know, he's like, never mind. I don't want to be, he sounded just like Adam Rogers. Like it was ridiculous. It was like, it's like, I actually want to take, like, take, you know, hostage terrorists out of their apartment instead. So that's what he does. Like it's crazy. And then he man. plays rumbles for them. Yeah. He's it's, just exactly. Man, it's nuts. It's absolutely absurd. So like, but like going over to his hometown and, and experiencing Europe, you know, I would give anything to go back and do a little differently, you know, have a little bit mm-hmm. more perspective, but you don't know what you don't know until you, until you know it. And some, some people never get a chance to learn that. So their, their worldview is not as developed and their perspective is not as, as, as great as it could be, you know? And when you see, when you see like crazy amounts of, I didn't see this in Europe so much, but like I was in India for six and a half weeks in Africa for about five Whoa. and a half. And yeah. And so like seeing, being American too, you know, like seeing the, the vast amounts of, of poverty on the one hand, and then also like abundance of wealth that was really transparent in India. I remember one time we were, we were staying in, um, uh, Chennai and we were put up in a nice hotel cause like accommodations went from like crazy, crazy, uh, uh, nice to like, man, I can't wait till we go to the next place, you know? So, and like one of the, one of the places that we had a really nice hotel if you walked to one end of the hallway, you could look out and see all these, you know, tent encampments and like the, just the, the worst poverty you can imagine. If you walked to the other end of the hallway, you could see these skyscrapers and wealth that you couldn't pot. Like it was, it really messed me up, you know, in, in a way that um, I'll never forget, you know. And like I lived in New York for six, seven years at that point, and you see all kinds of terrible stuff in New York, and you kind of become a hardened individual, frankly, you know, like there you see poverty, you see just strange people doing strange things you see violence all kinds of things yeah whatever it'll be fine and then we go over to india and you see like you know you see children that are being asked to go ask for money and you think okay 
like, yeah, I'll give you everything I have. And then you find out that like that child is going back and give it to somebody else and their family never sees a dime. It's like, man, that I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that out of music. You know, I, I was like, okay, let's just go play some concerts. But if you're a human, you, you can't, even if you're hardened, like living in New York for whatever, you still have, there's a humanity to it. Hopefully. <laughs> that yeah. Hopefully, right. yeah that, that will, that will positively affect you know, your arch. So that's been the biggest thing that I didn't expect was just having the opportunity to do all that. You know, I, I'm from normal Illinois, which is a rural corn town in the middle of Illinois, you know? And so I, if you would have said ever like, Hey, maybe you go to Chicago someday and play, I've been like, man, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> you know? So, um, it's been really great to get a chance to just meet people and, and take in different culture and, and, uh, and bring something back to the music, you know? Yeah. I mean, like that, that's something that I aspire to do eventually. I, I'm, I'm starting to, to tour a bit more outside of my like home region. And sure. it's just like, it's just like interesting to, to even think that one day music can take you like, Oh, not in your country. So that hasn't sure. happened yet, but like, it's, it's something interesting to, 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 to think about the opportunities that it can create. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm glad you got to. That's the 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 counter terrorist best man, Adam Rogers type uh, guitar dude uh, threw me for a loop because it's just like I mean, really hand precision a lot in different ways. He's just like very dexterous. He knows. Man, he, he told me like the last test that he had to pass to be part of that unit was like basically he was dropped into a room that was pitch black and he had to. There was four people that came at him and he said that he was able to defuse the situation, but in the process they broke his wrist. So he has a he has a pain in his wrist. And he's like, now I really can't play guitar. <laughs> it's like, damn, dude, he must really you know, want that job. I'd be man, like, no, I, please. I guess so, man. I, I, no, thank you. I'll just keep playing saxophone. Yeah, so. no. Nah, last time I was in a dark room, I was probably just asleep. I don't think I want to. Yeah, that's the dark rooms are for. I don't. I don't really yeah. want four people coming at me. <laughs> sure. um, so, um, if you had to give a piece, and you've done this many a time, right? If you had to give a piece of advice to someone starting out their uh, artistic, occupational, musical journey, um, what would you give to that person? Like, say, you're talking to your 18 year old self. Be patient, you know, for me personally, be patient, but I think for everybody, be patient. Um, I don't envy having to try to be a musician or, or, or an artist in this day and age. There's a lot of distractions that frankly weren't there 30 years ago in, in the volume that we deal with it now. Um, and I think that there, there tends to be a, uh, a trend that happens with being so, uh, all like having social media being omnipresent is just a bad thing, you know, because you could, you could be engaging with stuff that is like, you post something you think is great. Nobody engages with you. You think you're terrible. You post something that's terrible. Everybody thinks it's great. You think you're great. You know, none of that is really, really good. So I'd say like find two or three people that will always be honest with you and that you can fact check whatever you want to ask them. And they'll, they'll tell you directly like, Hey, you're not, you're not cutting it or you are, and here's why or whatever. Um, you know, for me, that's been immensely valuable, more, much more valuable than, than any interactions I've had, uh, online, you know, I'm not going to yeah. sit here and say that it doesn't feel good when people say nice things, but at the same time, it feels better when people who I immensely respect give me their honest opinion on things, you know? Yeah. And so, and that also helps, you know, that helps you if you're willing to receive that, it helps you become, <clears throat> excuse me, a better musician. Um, but be patient too, you know, I mean, that's kind of a, along the same corollary there is like, you might see people doing certain things at a, at a trajectory or timeline that you feel like you should be in the same thing or that you feel like is accelerated or, you know, it, it kind of just 
it really intensifies these feelings of comparison, you know, and to compare and despair obviously is terrible for you, but it's also a huge waste of time, you know, but I, I kind of already alluded to this, but my twenties, I did that almost exclusively, you know, and parts of it motivated me to get better and parts of it wasted a lot of my time. And now where I sit, where I don't have time to practice hardly ever, I kick myself for not just like turning that off, you know, but it's really, I mean, we're all, we're all humans, you know? So I think that's something you have to check. Um, check in on yourself early and often. You know, I think the idea of mental health is important. I think that it's been thrown around so much in the past couple of years specifically that it's hard to know how to address it the best way, you know, but yeah. I think that it's, I think that it's important that we all take our own temperature on that. And, you know, contrary to what you, what some people might think, I think being hard on yourself is actually necessary. You know, I think that's something that for me is, has made me um, develop the way that I have and continue to develop. Now, having said that to a point, you know, you, you, if you're 18 years old and you're being so hard on yourself that you can't, you've lost objectivity, then go back to what I said two seconds ago. Ask somebody who will be objective with you, you know, because a lot of times how you're progressing, you know, whether you're progressing or, or getting not progressing is, is um, a mixture of subjective and objective. When you're younger, it's much more objective because you have comparatively a lot more to learn. When you're older, it's much more subjective because yeah. hopefully you've gotten to a point where it's like, man, the only people who can tell are the cats that I really trust, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, be patient, uh, be humble, be genuine. You know, I often say that like the three things to be successful in any field, but especially related to arts is like, number one, be a good human. Number two, be an excellent, uh, be excellent at the craft, whatever that is. And then number three, be an effective communicator. You know, most people can do two out of three. And, and a lot of people, you know, sometimes it's one out of three. You know, like think about it. There's probably, we can name people who are excellent musicians who are really tough to deal with. Or like people who are not like the greatest musicians, but are excellent people. And they're really good at what, you know, they're communicating. So I would strive to be all three, you know, be really good and articulate with what you have to say and, and, and why your art is valuable and what it brings to the world. You know, be excellent at the craft. That's, to me, that's most important it's not most important being a good person is, but like you have to like, that's the prerequisite for long-term success is being excellent with the craft. There's really no yeah. hiding around, you know, you can have, you know, I guess, um, momentary success or whatever, but eventually if you haven't taken care of your music, it's not going to allow you to have longevity the way you might hope, you know? So I know it's a long answer to that, but it's, it's important for me to say all that. Mm -hmm. No, no, that makes sense. Uh, because that's uh, hopefully someone listening at that age is like, oh, you know, I need to hear that or have heard similar things. I feel like every time I ask that question, similar ideas, but in different ways or with different things added on come up. The patience, uh, the, 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 the communication, and specifically the patience, it comes up a lot because uh, when you're younger and you want to pursue this thing, you see so many people who are your age or younger or even when you're like in your mid twenties doing the thing that you want to do. And you're like, Oh, that I must, something must be wrong uh, that sure. I'm not doing that right now. And that's not even in your control. You said earlier, like right. worrying about things that are not in your control, like the amount of luck that also has to have, that goes into a lot of this, like being in the right place at the right time and communicating the right way, like expressing your ideas in the right way that don't turn people off to you as a person is all part of the sure. thing rather than just, you know, playing real, real good. <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, so uh, one last thing that I usually ask people is, like, do you have any uh, suggested, like, listening or reading or viewing? You talk about shows that you watch with your wife. What are some of your shows that you, like, when you're like, I need to experience some good shows? 
Yeah, well, um, she's she's turned me on to Succession on HBO, which is uh, a good time because the last season is coming out uh, soon. What have we gone through? We go we go through The Sopranos like once a year because we just love it. And and uh, I've never such, watched The Sopranos. Oh man, you should do it. It's well worth it. James Gandolfini and everybody, frankly, but especially James Gandolfini. It's like wow, such such good writing, you know, such good acting. Um, you know, re- recently I've been listening to. I didn't even know until like six months ago that uh, Keith Jarrett had quartet music. Like I just, I just, was always stuck on his like uh, trio stuff. So um, mm-hmm. music wise, I've been really into the European quartet, um, which is uh, incredible. Like Jan Garbrecht and Jan Christensen and uh, Pella Danielson. And then Keith, the way he writes for that band, the way he plays, the way that Jan plays the saxophone in that band. I mean, it's just, I was, that was pretty much all I've been listening to for the past two or three months. Um, but I'm also I, I really like you know hip hop and and rap so I check out uh, as much of that as I can. I'm always like a few years behind, you know. So like right now I, I haven't really moved past <laughs> this one J Cole J Cole record um, KOD. It's just killing. I can't move fast it. I'm like, well, oh, that's a great record. Yeah, it's it's killing, you know. So um, I've been into Logic and he has a new thing College Park that just came out. Um, I haven't got a chance to read uh, as much as I would like to. Um, but the last thing last series of books that I read were kind of helpful. Um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, such a great uh, book. It's a good yeah, book. Yeah, it's such a great book, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and all the Mark Manson stuff, which I won't say out loud, but he has two books. <laughs> that are, that are good, you know, um, they're awesome. Uh, and his newsletter is pretty cool, too. I stopped, I turned it off for a while because I just felt bad. I was like, I can't do any of this stuff. <laughs> you know, you're asking too much every, every Monday. Well, the thing, um, right, he's very challenging. Uh, the By the way he titles his books, you would think it was a joke book. Not like a joke book as in like it's a book of jokes, but like you would think that it's humorous. And it, sure. it wasn't. Yeah. No, it was like the first page is like, you know, do it or don't. <laughs> it was like, wow. Um, uh Seth Godin's books are always really good too, you know, like, um, I haven't read his stuff for a while. There's one book that I've read numerous times called the dip, which is great. Cause it, dip, it basically okay. in a, in a, in a similar way, uh, just ask you can ask you to consider like, cause I think something that's art, it's not as in the art. We always think like, well, you know, we have to carry on. Like if we started it, we have to continue to do it. I actually think that like, if you don't, if your if your heart isn't in it and it feels too, too like too much, then you don't have to do it. We should say that more often. You know, I see all these college kids all the time who like, I'm like, man, do you really want to do this? Cause like the amount you practice and the way that you come to lessons or whatever, it would, it's okay. If you just say, I don't want to do like pick something else, you know? And this book kind of like, yeah. uh, it, you know, and I don't, I don't mean to, to, it's just, it's just, it's what it is. I feel like sometimes, and again, that's a separate Zoom call. But until we value like the individual <laughs> development of of students, you know, more than we do their money, it's never nobody's ever going to say that, you know. Which is again, that's a dark thing to say, but it is what it is. But I think these books, like that book, The Dip, kind of really gets to in eighty eight pages or less or whatever. Um, like, why do you do what you do? And if you don't like what you do, then like maybe you should consider doing something different. And that's a good book to yeah. read because I've had that I've had that in my life several times. Like, oh, maybe I want to quit playing saxophone read this book and i'm like ah never mind <laughs> you know so um, yeah um and then is there anything uh that you want to we talked about the thing the project that you have coming out soon but is there anything that you want your listeners to know about before uh we sign off man um just on the horizon you know i have a really great quintet record that's a co-led band um it's called narrative uh quintet and it's myself and uh chris madsen 
um, one of my really close saxophone friends lives in Chicago. Um, we recorded a, ba- a band in December. Uh, Clark Summers, Chris, myself, John Kizilamud on drums, who's in my Kansas City trio, and then a wonderful guitar player named Scott Hesse. Um, so we're, we're fleshing out. Uh, we'll be at the Jazz Showcase in July for a week and some other things, and then we're doing a couple runouts in the fall. So um, I'm excited about that. You know, the older I get, the more the more I'm interested in chemistry and a good time on the road, you know, in the hang. And yeah. so, you know, if the, if the music can be A1 and the hang can be A1, I could care less about who the people are at this point. Versus when I was younger, it's was like, oh, let me try to get, and I think it was good. Like, let me try to get like the best people possible or whatever. Not to say these guys aren't the best, but I think you know what I'm saying. It's like, man, you, you can't replace, yeah. you can't replace band chemistry and sound. And, and after the gig is over, you can all just hang out and, and have a nice time. So I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about the trio thing uh, in a few weeks. That'll be great. I'm excited to get play with chords for the first time in two years, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but uh, man, thanks so much for having me. I hope, hope the listeners enjoyed, you know, this little interview. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for being on extra musical uh, for everyone uh, listening. You can find Adam Larson at Adam Larson And I believe your Instagram is also Adam Larson jazz. Yes, sir. All right. Well, you've just listened to an episode of Extra Musical. We have a sign off that's right after this. But for everyone listening, stay musical and stay well. Thanks. listening to this episode of extra musical extra musical is a hidden cinema records production please be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts and look out for future episodes bye for now